Well, that was the first for me. I've never heard Ehud used as a children's story. Next week, <laughs> next installment will be the beast out of the sea. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be back here. I love this church. I love your pastor, Dr. Easley. He has such an authoritative and, and, and yet a gentle way around him and about him. And it's always a pleasure uh, and a little bit intimidating to be here to fill in when he's away. But it's a joy for me. So thank you very much. I wanted to mention that since I was here last time, we've had a book uh, that has come out called A Song in My Heart. And this is available from Amazon or wherever you get your books, Christian book distributors. Uh, this is 366 stories from the hymn book. And each one of those stories told on the day connected with that hymn. For example, the very first one is the lyrics and the words behind Amazing Grace. You may not realize that Amazing Grace was a poem that John Newton wrote to finish his sermon on January the 1st, New Year's Day of 1773. He preached a sermon, it was a Friday actually, in his village for New Year's Day. And out of that he uh, developed this poem, Amazing Grace. So I tell that on January the 1st. So check this out and make a good Christmas gift to somebody, a song in my heart. And also if you're on Facebook or Instagram, check out my 59 second sermons every day as I teach through the Bible one minute at a time. It's simply Robert J. Morgan. You can find it on social media, and I would appreciate that. Now, today, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of the Acts of the Apostle. I've been reading and studying a great deal in the book of Acts, and when we see the Apostle Paul in this particular passage, it seems to me that he is suffering from something akin to post-traumatic stress. He's had a very difficult time. If I were to ask you, what is the worst day of your life so far? Then many of you could say, oh, this was the worst day. It was when someone died or when I had a diagnosis or when something terrible happened. Or maybe you could say there's been about four or five days that would fit into a terrible category. Most of my life, most of my days have been, been blessed, but there's a few here that have been very hard. We would all say that. And I think the Apostle Paul understood that. We think of him as a superman. But he had a very difficult time with especially his second missionary journey. Now, when you read through the book of the Acts of the Apostles, it's the fifth book of the New Testament. You have the first 12 chapters are devoted to Peter. Almost everything in those chapters is about Peter. You have something about Stephen, you have something about Philip, but primarily it is the record of Peter. And then all of a sudden it says, Peter left to go to another place, and we don't see Peter again. Beginning with chapter 13 to the end of the book, it is all about Paul. So you have Peter, and then you have Paul. And with Paul, his life, as it is rolled out for us, in this book of the Acts of the Apostles, is really placed in terms of his missionary tours. So in chapters 13 and 14, 
he has the first missionary tour that he takes with Barnabas. And he goes to the island of Cyprus, and then he comes up into the region of Galatia. And that's the first missionary tour. And it goes relatively well, except that we think Paul gets sick along the way. But it goes relatively well. And then he goes to Jerusalem for the Jerusalem conference. That's Acts chapter 15. And then in Acts chapter 16, he decides to go on his second missionary tour. This is the one where really everything goes wrong. This is going to be some of Paul's toughest days is going to be during the second missionary tour. It really begins badly because he says to Barnabas, let's go back and visit some of the places we visited before. But he and Barnabas got into a disagreement and that friendship was ruptured and so Barnabas ended up taking somebody else with him on a separate tour, and Paul selected Silas. So the whole thing began with a disagreement and on a note of ill will between the, I mean, the greatest missionary team in history split up because of a disagreement. That's at the end of chapter 15. So Paul now is going with someone else on this second tour. So it says in chapter 16 that they, in the first paragraph there, they went around to Asia trying to figure out where to go. But the Holy Spirit kept preventing them, saying, I don't want you to go here. And there was some frustration, but then Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to northern Greece, come over to Europe and help us. And so in chapter 16, they go over to Europe, and in the city of Philippi, they begin to preach, but that goes terribly wrong when a riot is, is created, and, and Paul and Silas are taken to the city square. They are stripped, they are tied to a post, and they are flogged and beaten. And I can't even imagine what that's like. Many of us have seen something on television in a movie or a television show about somebody being flogged or something, but most of us have never seen anything really like it, and I can't even imagine what it's like. But Paul endured that on this particular trip. And then he went from there, uh, wounded. He went on to Thessalonica. He found some people that were receptive to the gospel, but he was driven out of town before he could get them settled. And then he went to the town of Berea. The same thing happened. So he left his companions, uh, Timothy and Silas, back in Macedonia to try to take care of these little fledgling, fledgling groups of uh, churches. And he himself went to Athens. So the story of Paul in Athens is in the last half of chapter 17. I think that he was intending just to be there a few days by himself and recover. It would have been a fascinating place to visit. This was a very old city and probably a dirty city just because it was so old. Paul was there by himself. It was the intellectual and the philosophical capital of the world. It had been the great capital during the Greek Empire, and, but, but now it was just a shell of what it used to be. And as Paul walked around, he felt so burdened because they were worshiping so many different gods. And so he preached his famous sermon at the Areopagus here in the Book of, Athens, uh, in the Book of Acts, but he doesn't seem to get a lot of traction. People... They stopped listening to him. So here you have a man, and he has started with a rupture in his friendship, 
taken off with new associates, not sure where to go, had a vision that took him to Europe. The first thing that happened to him was he was stripped and flogged, and then he was driven from one place to the other and ended up by himself in Athens. So this hadn't been a very productive, I mean, from a human perspective, it does not appear to have been successful so far. And so Paul went from Athens, about 50 miles, to the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was very different from Athens. Athens was very old. Corinth was a brand new Roman city. Everything had just risen up within the past 100 years. And it was a very large city, 200,000 people plus probably half a million slaves. And it was an enormous place. Paul didn't know anyone there. He was still by himself. He walked into the city. He later said, in a state of fear and trembling and great weakness. In 1 Corinthians, Paul reminded the Corinthians that when he had come into their city for the first time, he was trembling. He was facing great weakness, and he was overwhelmed with fears and apprehensions. I think he was suffering from some post-traumatic stress of what had happened to him. And I think there's a sense in which all of us are scarred or shell-shocked in some way by things that have happened to us in the past. Not everybody has had tremendous trauma. We've not all been flogged. We've not all faced combat that's left us with some kind of combat traumatic disorder. But we've all had some pretty rough days at some point or another, and we carry that with us. But here the Apostle Paul, the Lord was so good to him, God knows when we just need help. The Lord knows when you just need help. And look at chapter 18 of the book of Acts, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all of the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Now, Paul was also broke at this point. He could reach into his pocket, and there was no money there for food or for anything. And he was by himself and broke, and he went into the city with fear and trembling and great apprehension. Everything it had been a pretty rough stretch for him, but God had providentially arranged a wonderful couple that he had never met before, but they were Christians already there, established, and just waiting for him. They had been tossed out of Rome because of their Jewishness, but they had moved to Corinth. They had opened a little booth there where they were selling tents and leather products, and Paul probably, because he was a tent maker, went into that area of the city trying to figure out, can I get a job somewhere here? And he'd gone up and discovered this wonderful couple. We know from the New Testament they were very hospitable. They had people in their homes. They took Paul in. They gave him a job. They encouraged him. Here the Lord, in advance, had prepared just the people that Paul needed, a couple that would take him in and encourage him. The Lord knows how to do that for us. 
He knows how to go ahead and take care of us and to provide for what we need. And they gave Paul a job working with them. Now, you know, Corinth also had these great athletic events like the, it was a Corinthian version of the Olympics. So people from all over the world would come there. And when they did, they needed little tents. Like you see, if you go to a basketball, a football game or something, you know, people have tailgate parties and they have little tents so that they can be away from the sun or the weather if it gets bad. And so Corinth was a major area for building these little tents. And can you just imagine it? I mean, we don't, we don't think in these terms, really, when we study the Bible, but it's real. That here you had come from, say, Italy to see these games. You needed a little tent. You found the leatherworking guilds in the city. You walked into a little shop. And who should come up to you to wait upon you but Paul the Apostle? You didn't know that's who it was, but there he was. And he said, we have just what you need. Let me show you this. It's handmade. Look at the quality of this leather. Look at the quality. Um, Aquila and Priscilla, they own this shop. They have done a wonderful job. Here's the price. We might be able to make you a little deal, especially if you need a couple of them. I mean, that was what he was doing six days a week. And on the Sabbath, he would evangelize. So it says in verse 4, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So this is a very real picture. Here's a damaged man. He went into a city by himself because he'd left his companions elsewhere. He was broke. He was broken and hurting. But God had provided a couple there. God had provided a job for him. God provided an income. God provided someone to take care of him. The Lord knows how to do this. And so on the Sabbath day, he would go into the Jewish quarter of the city, which was very large, and he would evangelize and go in the synagogues there and tell them about Jesus. Now, verse 5 says, When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia... Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching because Silas and, Paul, Silas and Timothy, they had stayed behind to sort of establish the churches in Thessalonica and Berea. And these churches had taken up an offering. We know this from other passages and from the nature of the church. They said, you know, Paul had to leave. He was driven out of town. He must have some needs. He's some, somebody's got to feed him and make sure that he has what he needs for his life and ministry. And so they took up an offering. And when Silas and Timothy came, they brought Paul good news about the state of the churches, and they also brought him an offering. So he could quit his job and give himself full time to evangelism. And it says in verse um, number 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood will be on your own heads. He's quoting there from the book of Ezekiel. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So now, all of a sudden, the entire city of Corinth became Paul's mission field. So here might have been the Egyptian quarter, here was the Libyan quarter, here was the Armenian quarter, here was the Latin quarter. So Paul just went everywhere then evangelizing, 
But by now he had a nucleus. It says in verse 7, Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Apparently this man, Titius Justus, had a very large house. I think Paul probably moved into it. And Crispus, the synagogue leader, be like the local pastor, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So now finally, there is some progress. Paul is seeing some fruits from his labor. And now we come to the verse I want to show you. With all of that as background, look at verse 9. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Now, when it says the Lord, that almost certainly means Jesus Christ. Do you know the New Testament writers tried to figure out how they could refer to both God the Father and God the Son as God without confusing the issue. And they came up with an ingenious plan. So typically, in the New Testament, the writers use the Greek word theos, which is God, to refer to the Father. Very seldom in the New Testament is Jesus called God. There are a few times, but not very often. So the New Testament writers went into the Old Testament and found another God-like word, which would be Lord, kurios, Lord. And they use that to designate the deity of Christ. So we talk about blessings from God the Father, Theos the Father, and our Kurios, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why it's so significant when John saw Jesus resurrected and he said, my Lord and my God. He used both terms there for Christ. But typically, when we see the word Lord in the New Testament, it's referring to Jesus. There are three times when Jesus came down and made a special visit to the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. I just read through yesterday looking at those. The Lord knows how to meet with us when we need it. He can make a special home visit when we need him in our heart. And so that's what happened here in verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack or harm you. Because I have many people in this city. And so Paul stayed in Corinth for another year and a half teaching them the word of God. So here are five sentences that God says to us when in a minor way or in a major way we're traumatized by life. Look at that verse 9 again. Number one, do not be afraid. That's the way he begins. Paul said that he came into Corinth with fear and trembling and great apprehension. And the Lord said to him, now you stop that. Don't be afraid any longer. These anxieties, this fear, this sense of panic you feel when you go through the Jewish quarter and you see people sort of ganging up, just don't be afraid. Someone said that there are 366 fear knots in the Bible. Well, 
that isn't literally true. There are, in the New International Version, there are 74 times, 74 times, when it says, do not fear or do not be afraid. But I think that if you took all of the other synonymous uh, phrases, like, do not fret, we read that several times in Psalm 37, or do not be dismayed, or do not be discouraged, or like in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious. I think if we went through the Bible and calculated all of those phrases, which basically mean do not be afraid, there could be 366, because the Lord knows that we are easily frightened. But even if you say there's only 74, my goodness, how many do you need? If you took one a day, that would take you through two months, and then you would start recycling. So the Lord said to Abraham, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. And at the Red Sea, the Lord said to the Israelites in Exodus 14, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the salvation the Lord will bring you today. And the Lord said to Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, I have only one surviving aunt or uncle. And she's an elderly aunt that was married to my mother's brother. And I'm very close to her. And she just, she lives in Knoxville. She just went into the emergency room and into the ICU with COVID, my Aunt Margaret. And so I said, how's she doing? And they said, well, she was quoting Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I heard that and I think, I think she's going to be all right. That's the kind of way that the Lord speaks to us through verses that we've memorized. David said to Solomon, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord my God, he will be with you until all of the work for the service of the tabernacle is finished. And then Jesus said in John 14, Do not be afraid. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled neither be afraid. Peter said, do not be afraid, do not fear their threats, do not be frightened. So we have all of these verses, and to search them out is a great joy of Bible study. To say, Lord, I have some fears now, there's some things I'm anxious about, and to get a concordance, to look up all of the fear knots, and the do not be afraids, the do not be anxious, the do not worries, in the Bible and begin to list them and claim them. That's a tremendous spiritual therapeutic. So the first thing he says to Paul is do not be afraid. And then he says, secondly, keep on speaking, do not be silent. Just keep on preaching. And this is directed to all of us. Now, I'm not around non-Christians as much as I should be. I need to join some non-Christian group. Because as a minister, I'm typically around Christian people. But some of you in your school or wherever you are in your work, you are constantly around non-Christians. I've found that when I take an Uber somewhere, 
that has almost always given me a good opportunity to just share the Lord with someone. I've gotten so now, I don't like to go downtown and deal with the parking. I live in Donaldson. So if I, last month I had two different speaking engagements in downtown Nashville. So I just took an Uber down there. I found it's much easier. I don't have to worry about parking or anything. And on the way, I was able to steer the conversation and say a word about the Lord Jesus. We just have to continually work on and be creative with sharing the message of the gospel through our lives, through our lips. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. That's the second thing. And then thirdly, he says, I am with you. So think of what that must have meant to Paul. When you wake up in the morning and you're still injured from your wounds and you don't feel well. Well, that's all right. I am right there. I'm going to start the day with you. And when you're making the tent and you're sewing that leather together and someone comes into the shop and you look up, well, I'm right there with you. I'm doing all of this work too. I am with you. And when you're walking through the Italian corner, through the Armenian corner, or if you go into the Jewish sector and you feel yourself surrounded and Well, I am there. I'm walking through all of that with you. And when you're meeting in various houses or having meals in people's homes, I'm right there with you. And when you go to bed at night, I'm going to be there with you and stay awake all night long while you sleep. I mean, this is how real it is to practice and to experience the reality of the presence of our omnipresent Lord who is with us all the time. This is what Paul was saying, what the Lord was saying to Paul. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent. I am with you. And fourthly, he says, no one is going to harm you or attack you while you are in this city. Now, later in Jerusalem, Paul would be mobbed again. But the Lord here gave him a reprieve. He said, you can stay as long as you want to in Corinth. I will give you one guarantee. You are not going to be assaulted here. I'm going to put a zone around you. I'm going to give you protective grace. No one is going to beat you. No one is going to strike you. No one is going to try to kill you. Nobody is going to stone you. Nobody is going to grab you and pull you into an alley. I'm going to protect you from all of that. So no one will harm you while you are here. And so Paul was able to relax and just go about his work. Now the Lord doesn't promise to ultimately protect us from every little misadventure or every injury. But he does protect us from the evil one. And he taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from the evil one. And at the end of his ministry, in John chapter 17, he said about his disciples in prayer, he said, Father, I ask not that you take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. And we need the knowledge that we are being protected from the evil one whose presence pervades this planet. And the Lord gives us the promise of protection. And then look at the last thing he says, for I have many people in this city. Now, I don't think that he is saying, I have many people in this city who have already been saved. Because the work was just beginning. He was saying, I have a lot of people in this city in whose hearts I am working 
and who will be saved and who will come to Christ as a result of your ministry, either directly or indirectly, either sooner or later. But I know who they are, and there's going to be a tremendous harvest here in the city of Corinth. Now, think about the implications of that. We look out over a vast crowd. You maybe go to a football game, maybe the Titans, and you look over that vast crowd, and you don't know the spiritual condition of those 60,000 people. Some of them, maybe 10, 15% are Christians. Some are as lost as they can be, but there's a certain number there, and the Lord has already started working in their hearts, and sooner or later, they're going to be saved at your office, at your school, up and down these streets and the stores here at the Galleria, wherever you are, God is working in this city. He is working in Nashville. He is working in Brentwood. He is working in Franklin. He is working in this city in the hearts of people invisibly, though we can't yet see it, but they are going to come to Christ as the result of the ministry of you and me and this church. I mean, who knows the number of people over the next three or four years that will come to the Lord because of the ministries of the people in this room and of this church. The Lord has many people in this city. So when Paul got that special message from God, he relaxed, he experienced a wholeness and a healing and a joy. He plunged into the work and he stayed in Corinth for at least another 18 months longer than he stayed almost anywhere. And the Lord gave him a wonderful harvest. So we are on a missionary journey. Our lives are a missionary journey. And things happen to us. We have relationships that are fractured. We have things that go wrong. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we go broke. But the Lord has a word for us. And he gives us five different assurances here in Acts chapter uh, 18 and verse 9. To me, this has become a very precious verse. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. I am with you. No one is going to harm you. As long as you're in my will, I will protect you. I have many people in the city. So at those promises, I think we should just settle down, stay a while, and get to work. <laughs>